young brains are super pliable. Young brains are, and then how do how are brains supposed to develop? How are people supposed to develop in kin groups? How are babies supposed to be? You know, there's you know, women are supposed to labor naturally. All that labor and all that hormones are supposed to go into the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, they're supposed to give birth. Um, they're supposed to you know, uh, you know, be exposed to the vagina and the bacteria in there and skin to skin contact and you know all of those things are like critical to brain development mm-hmm. um, and then um, so th- when that stuff is interfered with those I think those are causes of autism and it's not necessarily one thing it's a combination of things or maybe one thing for one particular thing yeah. and you know the science that that shows that autism is related to vaccines have been clearly um, uh, debunked. Again, that's Daphne Singing Tree. And this is the Rain Studios podcast. Welcome back, friends, to the Rain Studios podcast. I am Rain Reed, your host, and this is my podcast. Thank you so much for joining. We've got Daphne Singing Tree back up today, episode eight. Um, and I just I just couldn't get enough of her. So I went back to her house um, a second time and asked a couple more questions. So um, I'm sure parents, mothers, parents-to-be, mothers-to-be, or even if you're just um, thinking about having babies, or maybe if you had babies a long time ago and you're kind of... Uh, revisiting what that was like for you. Um, this conversation is just enlightening and uh, and really a special one. So um, I won't go into too much more because uh, I did it on the last one and her bio is uh, up again on the show notes here. So um, feel free to check her bio out, um, Eagle Tree Herbs, which is one of her companies um, where she makes tinctures and um, things like this at her own home. Uh, out of her permaculture garden and her professional kitchen. And then her other company is studymidwifery.com, which is pretty new. She just started it right before coronavirus. Um, But it's a platform where you can uh, purchase modules of uh, different chapters, basically. It's like she's taken her midwifery textbook and put it online and really just expanded it, like, and it's expanding out. There's um, other teachers involved, um, so it's not just from her, and she was really humble and excited about that part. Um, But we are using it, dabbling in it in our midwifery study group as well, so it comes highly recommended. And um, a little homework for us is just... If you guys, if anybody's interested in practicing yoga on Zoom with me um, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Again, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, 10 a.m. Pacific Time. I'm on Zoom. Do it an hour and 15 of uh, like a Hatha-style practice. Do some breath work. We do a nice, delicious Shavasana. Um and I think you will enjoy it. Um, it's, you know, we're all cooped up in this uh, COVID world. Um, I hope you're getting outside and going for nature walks or just walk around the block or if you get to go for a hike or something like that, you know, take advantage of outside time. It's super, super healing. Um, but 
you know, when you're inside, you can jump on Zoom. And um, it's been really cool because the platform is, you know, where you can interact with people. So I open up the room at 9.45 a.m. And um, so if you want to come in and ask questions or um, just say hello or connect with the community, um, then the class starts at 10. And then around 11.15, the class wraps up. And then I, again, keep the, the Zoom room open for another 15 minutes for feedback and suggestions. And again, just a little sense of community in this um, isolated time. So awesome. Without further ado, Daphne singing to me. It was right when I was doing my apprenticeship with my my first husband, who was a medical doctor. Right. Yeah, I read about that. Um, so, um, and it wasn't a very big book. It was maybe, you know, 20 pages, you know, like a 10-page little chat book mm-hmm. that they used to call it back then. And this is Herbs for Pregnancy. It was Herbs for Pregnancy. And this is the funny thing about it is, is that... I had lost contact with my fam- my birth family for many years. I left home when I was 12. I had no contact with them. Right. All of these, you know, and by this time I'm, you know, I'm 16, 17. So I hadn't seen them in years and years. My older sister was pregnant with her first child, wanting a home birth, and found my book of herbs and pregnancy. Oh, my God. <laughs> And I didn't even put, because this was, um, I think it might have said Daphne Singing Tree on it, which is not, you know, the name given at birth, but somehow she knew it was me. And she she wrote me, it was a a post office box that I had, and she wrote me, and I reconnected with my sister. I didn't, I went there at the late part of her pregnancy. I was going to be there for her birth, but she ended up going overdue, and we ended up going... Um, uh, not being there for her birth, but I did. That was the, her first child, mm-hmm. Hermes. But I did deliver the second one. Um, Hermes, that's awesome. Yeah, he um, was in his forties, and he passed away just a couple mm. of years ago. So, oh my gosh, my poor sister had lost a stepchild whom she raised, mm. so it was like her own child. And, you know, losing a child is just horrible. And mm. then her other son, both to drug overdoses. Really horrible. That is so horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine, um, you know, I can't imagine losing a child. There's, you know, there's nothing, you know, nothing worse. And I think every mother, you know, like you just, you know, you hear about it and your heart, you know, stops. And it doesn't matter how old your child is. Like, I think about that for my, you know, my adult children and I'm just like, you know. They're still your child. Yeah, still your baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. I'm so I'm sorry for her loss. Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, yeah, I don't even remember what was in that book. I no longer have a copy of it. <laughs> probably wasn't very good. It probably had all kinds of like because I didn't have traditional schooling. Uh huh. Like, all of my early works was, like, really bad grammar and really bad writing, and I'd have various different editors, and then I'd have, like, some editor would take out, put all a bunch of commas in, and the next editor would take out all the commas. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I've gotten a little bit better at writing, but I'm still not a very good writer. Oh, but you've mo- written multiple books. Right. So that was one of the things, and I'm going to interject and just mm-hmm. say, I was so starstruck when mm-hmm. I came here last week and then 
I, when I texted you, I was like, I'm sorry, I forgot a few things. And Daphne was kind enough to let me just waltz on back in for part two. Um, but yeah, so you're an author of multiple books. Right. And so you, you wrote your first book when you were 16. Right. And I just, you know, I kind well, of wanted... it was more like a booklet. A booklet, still. <laughs> now, I mean, one that your sister found. <laughs> yeah. It, like, you know, in a different... where, And you guys were in different... States as a dog. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. the booklet made its way. Yeah. <laughs> humble. You're very humble, but you had written a book and it had made its way. Um, so just, um, can you tell us about some of your other books? Well, I... Um, it's all pretty much midwifery books. I, you know, I have the midwifery workbook, and that started as um, uh, I was teaching classes at the time, mm-hmm. and one of my students typed up all the notes for her classes and gave them to me, and and I said, oh yeah, this is the basic parts of a book. But I was um, studying anatomy at the time and used the anatomy coloring book, and oh, I thought, love oh, that. wouldn't it be cool to have a midwifery mm. coloring book? So mm-hmm. you know, I retyped some of her notes for her classes because I kind of had an outline, mm-hmm. and then I got the idea about the midwifery coloring book. And at the time, I did. I did, and actually still do, a lot of, I did all my own layout and um, scanned all the pictures, and it was tremendously time-consuming. I can only It was also before computers. Right. So it was like, (laughs) I had, um, um, uh, you used wax and light boards, and so I would type it up, and, you know, you cut it, cut stuff out, and you put it on there, and, cool. you know, it was, it was, it was very time-consuming, and then I just did, um, it wasn't perfect bound, I just did them in small quantities at mm-hmm. Kinko's, and then did, you know, yeah, the, uh, a number of versions, but that's what I need to do at, at this point, I'm looking for... Um, another, before I do the next version, another co-author, I've talked to a couple of people, um, there's a couple of people I've worked with when I did the midwifery school mm-hmm. that, um, I want to work with because I'm very out of the whole midwifery, um, you know, it's been 10 years since I practiced mm-hmm. and, you know, I've only been to a few births, you know. Yeah. Um, friends and my grandkids, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that I've just not, not really been attending births and, um, and feel, um, there's some things about midwifery that don't ever change and there's a lot of stuff that really does change. Yeah. And if you're a good midwife, then you pay attention to evidence-based medicine, right. which means that you have to keep up with stuff. Yeah. You know, I remember last time I was telling you the whole story about about um, the stretching thing and how yes. you know how mm-hmm. midwives you know weren't up on their own study. Right. You know, they weren't listening, paying attention to their, yeah. their you know their their own information. So yeah. I don't want to put myself out there as any kind of expert in a field that I haven't really been into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's a good because as as usual, you're back to just. Can you read my notes? Is that like you're just beautifully doing it? So the transition, your transition from midwifery to herbs, and I mean, well, I started out in herbs. You started out in herbs, and then you went to midwifery, and then you went back to herbs. Right. Okay. And now you have eel tree herbs is your home base business business, and you have 
Yeah, but I'm kind of wanting to move on from that. Are you? Yeah, okay. I actually really want to sell my business. Um, well, because part of it is is that it, I'm not a very good person for running a business and making money. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> and I got really spoiled at Standing Rock of giving people medicine. Yeah. You know, because all these people donated all these incredible stuff, and all I did all day was... Oh, you got this one with you? Here, you know? Yeah, you know? Yep. And so it really totally and absolutely spoiled me. Mm. And um and I still give away more stuff than I should. And I would much rather have and then also when you're making herbal products, in order to make in order to go to wholesale, you mm. have to scale up and volume do and you have to do manufacturing and then you become a manufacturing business yeah and that's just not my um not my thing yeah you know know. like i my thing is making small amounts of medicine in a traditional way you know like i make tinctures a quart at a time yeah you know and they're better because you made them yeah (laughs) in your own kitchen right (laughs) and then i try to grow as many of the herbs as i possibly can or so will you keep the the internship i mean right now we have so i'm i'm at daphne's house and there's I mean, last time I was here, you had two interns that uh-huh. kind of popping in and out, and and they stay here. They get to stay here on the property. Well, um, one does right now, um, uh, and yeah, usually I'll, I'll have one, but I don't always have people living here. Okay. What I oftentimes will try to work out is 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 oftentimes I've got friends that have neighbor farms mm-hmm. that take one of the interns because my internship is only two afternoons a week. So it's not very much time commitment, okay. gotcha. and so if they they so a lot of times the out of because people come from all over you know the country and sometimes uh, other places in the world and they'll stay in other places that I try to work out. Gotcha. Um, although um, what I oftentimes tell people too is is that it's. The amount of time, unless they really want to do like woofing and really hard wo- uh, work on a farm, yeah. Especially if they're if they're younger people, they can oftentimes get a job working, you know, as a barista mm-hmm. or something, and rent a room, yeah. And just have Tuesdays and Thursday afternoons With off. With you, yeah. So you know, I've got some people that are coming and doing, um, uh, doing that. But I'll still probably even if I sell the business. I probably will um, continue to do my herbal medicine making, and you know, and and just do it, you know, on, the, scale. on a smaller scale instead of really focusing on products for sale. And I'll probably still, you know, do a couple of shows a year. You know, I still like doing the country fair. It's kind of in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'm but and you can do that small batch. I mean, yeah, that's what they, yeah. that's what they want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um. So we vaccines. I'm itching, and everyone listening is also itching to hear what your thoughts are. Vaccines are actually pretty natural. Again, uh, it comes back to this belief I have of the body's homeostatic mechanism of healing itself. That mm-hmm. herbs help the body, like um, how it boosts your immune system. It does, 
uh, you know, a lot of the antivirals, they don't work by killing viruses. They work by b- boosting your immune system to fight off a virus. Mm-hmm. When you get a vaccine, you get a small amount of the disease, so your body will produce its own, um, its own antibodies. Right. I think vaccines are, are, are pretty natural. I've seen some real problems in communities, home birth communities of places where people didn't vaccinate. Mm-hmm. Now we've got these measles epidemics popping up here and there, which mm-hmm. have pretty serious consequences. But I remember a whooping cop epidemic that happened yeah. around Cave Junction with a lot of home birthers. And every single parent who didn't get their kid vaccinated was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't do this because right. now my kid's like... And whooping cough is not something you go in and the kid gets antibiotics and gets better. Right. It's, you know... You know, it's a very scary illness, and it lasts for a very long time. Kids sick, very sick for right. months. Oof. And so, you know, we live in an environment where people can get away with vaccinating their, not vaccinating their kids because the majority of people vaccinate. Are vaccinated, right. So, um, and I completely disagree with this, you know, vaccines cause autism. Here's a really good way to do Most of the, of the third uh, um, developing countries, big vaccination campaigns. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they vaccinate everybody. Almost no autism. Right. They have large amounts of autism in the developed world. Right. And sometimes they say, oh, it's because we have, we have uh, other techniques, but... Uh, you know, better diagnostic methods, but I don't think that that's that's true at all. You see very little of it in Africa, yeah. and all, they're almost all vaccinated. Wow! So you know, like what we do have here, where they do have high autism rates, is high incidences of epidurals and drugs during labor and mm-hmm. cesareans. Mm-hmm. High incidences of of kids not um, being in daycare. And having, you know, from a very small, little, tiny age, mm-hmm. you know, like babies and baby in daycare. daycare. Mm-hmm. So there's one baby for every seven, you know, there's seven babies for every one provider. Right. So the amount of, you know, one of the things that helps babies' brain development is, is when a baby, like, you have to, like, pick up a baby and hold a baby and move the baby around and look in its eyes and goo at it and, mm-hmm. you know, tell it, you know, and wear it. And, you know, these are the things that stimulate and love it, mm-hmm. you know. And these are the things that stimulate the brain growth. The brain growth is the most, most amount of brain growth is, well, during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. The first, you know, interuterine nine months, and then the next nine months after that, and then uh, and then up to two years. So by the time a kid is two, a lot of their brain development has all, is already in place. A lot of those structures in the brain, mm-hmm. they can, and that's why they've they've when they are now they're doing these MRIs and they're seeing structural brain differences. And like here's another really good example of that is there structural brain differences in kids that learn multiple languages. You've probably yes. heard about that. Or kids that you learn to play music early. Mm-hmm. You know, they have, there's actual structural brain differences between right and right brain hemispheres. Yep. Um, so these are the kinds of things that we know 
young brains are super pliable. Young brains are, and then how do, how are brains supposed to develop? How are people supposed to develop? In kin groups, how are babies supposed to be, you know, there's, you know, women are supposed to labor naturally. All that labor and all that hormones are supposed to go into the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, they're supposed to give birth. Um, they're supposed to, you know, uh, you know, be exposed to the vagina and the bacteria in there and skin to skin contact. And, you know, all of those things are like critical to brain development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, so th- when that stuff is interfered with, those, I think those are causes of autism. And it's not necessarily one thing. It's a combination of things or maybe one thing for one particular thing. Yeah. And, you know, the science that that shows that autism is related to vac- vaccines have been clearly um, uh, debunked. Mm-hmm. And it's really a good example of confirmation bias. People read what they want to hear. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the Trump people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what he said or does. Uh-huh. They're still going to believe him. Right. So sometimes people get into this thing that vaccines are bad mm-hmm. and they don't look at the evidence. Yeah. You know, and they also don't, you know, it's also something that's just deeply people of privilege yeah you know because they are generally white generally educated you know you don't find you know people who live um in you know in uh communities that are um disaffected communities or communities that have um you know that live close to the edge or that you know and not necessarily are in poverty or close to close to that you know people understand that you know horrible sicknesses and illnesses happen and yeah. they're they might also have um some uh generational stuff where their parents or grandparents can say oh yeah i remember when people had polio yeah. Or, you know, I remember, you know, I certainly remember just from my generation where everybody got chicken pox and everybody got measles and everybody got mumps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the thing is, is that at the time, it's it was kind of accepted. It wasn't a big deal. But then again, when you think about it, when you think about your child even chicken pox, which is, you know, I relatively, yeah, which yeah. is, you know, I, mean, it relative, was, I remember it was a little traumatizing, but definitely it's not measles and it's certainly not whooping cough. The point is, is that, that chicken pox, um, is, um, uh, uh, does cause a lot more problems later on in life when people get shingles. Right. What is that about? Um, when you get chicken pox, you the there's some of that virus can hang out in particular nerves, and you can get this really painful illness that um, uh, comes out later on in life, huh. where you get these painful um, sores. It's kind of like a herpes. It's a relative of herpes that, um, anyway. but if you have a chicken pox vaccine and you don't get chicken pox you don't get it and then huh. some people who had chicken pox can get a shingles vaccine which will keep them from 
from from getting that. But so that's you, you but, but, but the, the point is is that that I was trying to make is is that chickenpox, even though of all of those diseases is relatively benign, and people will be like, "Oh, I had the chickenpox; it wasn't that big of a deal." Mm-hmm. But when it's your kid and they are sick for weeks, yeah. And miserable, and have little little spots all over, itchy spots all over them that sometimes can scar them for life. Mm-hmm. Why? When a shot would prevent it, when they can have a little tiny bit of chicken pox, mm-hmm. their body will produce its immunities. So you don't see any. There's like you don't see any. Um, Malice with vaccines. You see, like, only positive. Do you think that there's an age? Like, you think you should wait a little while? You think you can give it to Well, I think that the schedule in which they give vaccines is more for the uh, uh, benefit of pediatric practices. Definitely. And, you know, like, when I had my kids done, I spaced them a little bit differently because they give them a whole bunch at once. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that, uh, you know... Um, spacing it out makes a certain amount of sense, although the convenience factor, mm-hmm. the, you know, people talk talk about the ther- uh, thimerosal or the other additives that are in, you know, think about how much substance is in a vaccine, like a couple of millimeters. Yeah. What kind of chemicals are in a happy meal? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. You know, like in terms of, you know, we have an exposure to nasty chemicals all the time. Right. Whether it's through drinking water or processed foods or, you know, living next to a train tracks yeah. or, you know, whatever. You know, there's, you know, there's going to be some exposures to, you know, to some nasty chemicals. That's mm-hmm. the unfortunate reality of our life. Right. And sometimes those exposures, if they're severe, can cause, you know, health problems. Mm-hmm. Vaccines... You know, you always have to look at risks versus benefits. Right. And the benefits for vaccines, I think, clearly um, outweigh the risks. And I Very think cool. that people who um, believe differently are are basing their beliefs on this confirmation bias of people, you know, cherry-picking studies and cherry-picking research and then also, why would people do that? What is the like? What does that benefit someone to like? Well, I think what 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 it is, is is that a lot of people, and rightly so, have questions about um, uh, you know the modern medicine and the medical you know skepticism uh, you know and you know the uh, you know uh, you know the medical system is you know is the medical industrial. Uh, uh, complex mm-hmm. is you know is, is and you know there's some bad things that you know that happens when you kind of toe the line and go along with everything that they recommend. For example, you know, birth is a really good example of that. Right. Um, so it's so creating like a like a untrustworthy system. So then it's a, causing people to just not trust anything that they're doing. Right. That's kind of what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. That that. that uh, it's like I was having a conversation with, um, uh, with my uh, roommates the other night, uh, yesterday, and we were talking about. I recently had um, a situation that happened where I had a um, a routine. I was having abdominal pain, mm-hmm. and I was having a routine procedure to diagnose that pain, 
and I told the doctor I was having abdominal pain, that that was my presenting problem. He didn't push on my belly. He didn't, like, look at me or anything and went ahead and, and did the procedure, and I got sepsis, and I almost died, and I lost my gallbladder. And he wrote on his, um, he wrote on his um, exam notes uh, uh, in prison that I, the abdomen had no tenderness. It turned out I had a really big hernia that hadn't been because I had weight loss surgery. And it was, and when, after I had my weight loss surgery, the surgeon said, oh, you got a little hernia here. You should come in and get it fixed. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and so years later, you know, it wasn't a big deal until yeah. it got to be a big deal. And then I didn't know that it was, you know, and I was having all kinds of problems. Wow. And, you know, took, you know, we, and the, so the diagnostic, so because I got so sick and I had all these tests, they figured out what it was and, you know, I got it fixed and I'm fine now. Right. But the um, gallbladder had to go too as yeah, a result. Yeah. Was it next to the hernia or something? Well, or? because I got sepsis oh, and right. I had an infection. You got an infection. Ooh. Yeah. They, they tried to fix it. As a matter of fact, I was in the hospital for five days and I had four anesthesias. Mm-hmm. Um, and they tried to go down and they scoop it out or suck it out or whatever. And it wasn't. Oh. It, it, so. When anyway. was that? And that was not. That was just this, this last summer. It wasn't very long Whoa. ago. Yeah, wow. yeah. But the point is, is I was having. We were having this discussion, and part of it was talking about how doctors no longer put their hands on people, and and his response was, it was all about the money, and then that's what doctors do. Is as doctors, you know, um, mm-hmm. do all of these things about you know because they want to have more money. And I really don't think that's true. A lot of times doctors really do a lot of really bad stuff, but I don't think that money is the general response. I don't think that most of them, I think most, it's very hard to be a doctor. Yeah. I was married to one and I know, you know, what they, what they, what they go through and you have to be pretty smart to get there. Mm -hmm. You have to be very hardworking and you generally get into it for pretty good reasons. Because you you care about people. Because you care about people and want to, I want to help people. And yes, money and prestige and, you know, all of that is certainly a piece of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that very many doctors, like, for example, I don't think doctors do extra cesareans because they want to make more money than Mm -hmm. they would for a normal birth. Right. I don't think that that's true. Some people believe that. The same was this, this conversation that I was having, you know, that this doctor who kind of screwed me up and caused me to lose a gallbladder, it wasn't that he was trying to get more money for doing more tests his, you know, his they procedure. just get super, super focused on, okay, I've got to do this test because this is what the insurance, you know, if I don't do this test, then I might get sued. Right. You know, it's or they get... about that. Yeah, you I know. think it's way more, at this point, I think it's way more fear-based. I think something happened and I don't know you know it certainly wasn't like one pivotal moment but just over the last hundred years so much change has happened Uh in so many different areas I mean Uh you know like like your example with how you wrote your book Uh to now how you would write a book now Uh I mean it really is like it's light years difference of like how you would I mean we could essentially talk 
the book and the the phone could write the book so you would never have to type it you know you could just talk your book and you could then just like tell Siri or whatever to go print it I mean literally like yeah. so that's how the world is so different and so and I feel I have a lot of compassion for doctors too and I have quite a few friends that are doctors mm-hmm. and and um and all everybody just wanted to point a finger of blame at everybody and and it's and we're all trying to survive, you know, we're all trying to, to hack it in this, in this society. And that yeah. we've just, there's been so much change. And I think we're all kind of trying to figure out how to do it and how to do it where it feels um, like you're living with integrity and like you're, you know, doing something positive for your fellow humans. Like, I do think yeah. that that's like a real, it's still the beating heart of the human race. Well, I also think that the doctors, the younger doctors that are now coming up, are very much into what they're calling integrative medicine. Oh, thank God. You know, I really <laughs> see that. As a matter of fact, um, uh, there was a group of doctors that met, um, I was probably maybe five, ten years ago now, that was just like a small group in the Bay Area that met that was interested in this concept of, of integrative medicine and they invited herbalists and naturopaths and medical doctors to all have this one you know uh, conference and this conference has turned into this big thing and mm. you know it's a big national group of you know something I, I was invited to speak at that conference and I forget what the name of it is now but you know it's a it's know, probably changed <laughs> yeah it's something in integrative medicine you yeah know? um and you know they invite naturopaths and and you know herbalists and you know they you know do yoga in the morning and you know just the whole oh. you know the whole thing and there are you know there's there's um and one of the when i went to this last conference one of the doctors that i worked with at um Standing Rock, and I worked with a whole bunch of doctors, and a lot of them were young doctors that volunteered their time to, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. to come to Standing Rock and help out. Mm-hmm. Um, were all very open to natural medicine. They listened to me, you know, talk about herbs. Um, one of them, you know, went out of her way to invite me to speak at this conference. Mm-hmm. I um, and um, she, um, her, her name was. Um, I can't remember her last name now. Her name is Greta. Um, she um, uh, started or was part of the starting group of um, of uh, uh, of classes in the local medicines uh, medical school of food as medicine. Mm. And they did a presentation about their food as medicine thing, and they That's showed awesome. this like group of young doctors and chefs hats and white aprons. <laughs> showed on the slides them in their kitchen, and they would, cool. you know, learn to make healthy foods. And one of the things they did is, is they went into one of the local Chicago inner, um, inner city schools and made healthy meals for with the kids there. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, the fact that they have food as medicine and a curriculum. In a, in a medical school. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, and evidently this is spreading to lots and lots of medical schools all over. Good. I think, the, yeah, the better, the more the focus turns, um, what's the word? Preventative medicine, 
right? As opposed to like, I feel like it's a it's good to work on like health on healthy people instead of waiting until the population is ill and then focusing on the illness. And that is a very rudimentary way of saying it, but I feel like that's sort of the history of medicine in America. It shifted to, to like, all right, let's be, you know, and you'll be the urologist and you'll only focus on this part of the body and you'll be the cardiologist and you'll only focus on this part of the body. And, you know, the, which I think, and it probably got us, you know, some incredible uh, information by mm-hmm. zeroing in and honing in on something. But when you scan, when you pan out and you look at the whole body, it works together as a system. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. all of these systems work together. And I feel like, it's important to remember that. And I think that the younger doctors are really more aware of it. Right. You know, I and I really so do too. think that the system is, you know, is, is changing. And one of the things that um, I can see by being old is, is, um, <laughs> is how many really positive things that has happened. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got some really bad things with, you know, with the climate, you know, with climate change going on, and we've, yeah. you know, we've done some real damage with other stuff. But if we see some of the really positive things that have happened, like, you know, the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and, you know that, you know, never would have happened with you know my generation. Mm-hmm. Or um, one of the things that when I was growing up, pretty much in almost every bar in America on Friday night, somebody would get into some kind of argument and there'd be some kind of fisticuffs fight. Mm-hmm. That, and no, nobody would get an assault charge. That mm-hmm. was just, mm-hmm. you know, that was just the way that it went. Mm-hmm. You know, people would get pissed off and punch each other. Yeah. <laughs> people get pissed off and drunk and punch each other. And uh-huh. that was like part of the culture. Uh-huh. Now we live in a culture where it's not okay to punch people. Right. You know, that's true. You know, so we, ha- you know, I mean, we have, and if we, you look at the history of violence in, from, um, from ancient cultures, you know, up through to today, even indigenous cultures, some, a lot of tribes had slaves. Yeah. You know, there was certainly torture and, and, you know, like we tend to sort of glorify that, but if you really look at it historically, and it wasn't that different from other, from, um, from, they weren't that different than other people in their times, you know. You know, there was slavery, there was, you know, um, uh, you know, in Europe, they had serfs and, you know, I mean, yeah, the you, serfs know, and tariffs and, and all. you know, I mean, they, there was lots and lots of times where people were, were treated horribly. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of rape. There was a lot of really horrible things that mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. And then gradually as society has evolved, we're, you know, where we've worked, you know, and this is what I'm talking about in terms of evolution. Yeah, progress. You know, and progress, you know. Absolutely. And what I have seen just in the course of my lifetime, like I couldn't have imagined when I very first got into natural foods that there would be, you know, that you would see natural food sections in every supermarket in America. Yeah. That there'd be organic produce, every, you know, in Walmart. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just all of these things, all of these really positive changes that have been made. You know, we have, 
taken a couple of of uh, steps backwards with you know uh, Trumpism and um, <laughs> right yeah you know and 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 some things but in terms of of uh, of of positive changes moving forward yeah you know if you look at the the bigger picture the larger picture we're seeing some some changes and you know i'm really excited about about the young people who are jumping up um uh and saying this about climate change yeah you know this is you know you know the whole you know extinction rebellion movement and you know um the young climate activists and Greta Thunberg and you know mm-hmm. all of these you know all of these things are 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 really uh people are really paying attention yeah and you know i think we've got the possibilities of change but i also think that there's going to be some you know some shakeups <laughs> coming you yeah. know and you know we need to um uh we need to you know it's it's the constant um balance and we talked about this last time between nature and technology yeah between innovation and respect for tradition mm-hmm you know that we need to look at our ancestral knowledge and and traditions from the past but we also don't want to have them keep them keep us back right you know so you know um um an example is moon traditions mm-hmm. you know native people have very strong moon traditions um about keeping women um and so, and that's a very strong thing that happens in lots of places yeah but in places um right now there is it um it's not Nepal is it Nepal um Pakistan one of those middle east countries mm-hmm. there's a movement now cuz um because they put have women in little huts in little you know they don't call them moon huts or whatever mm-hmm. and they're finding that that's you know very oppressive for women and keeping them from you know integrating in the community mm-hmm. and there's a lot of bad stigma associated with it so there's that side of it as well so right. there's the there's an element of you know respecting the traditions and then there's also an element of 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 being aware that that's that process also may um uh disempower women and and you know put give them a lot of negativity which is you know detrimental to you know their growth as as uh, as equal humans yeah absolutely so you know where do you find that you know where do you find that balance Mm -hmm. and you know that is the same thing and i think midwifery is the greatest example of this because this is about you know listening to nature and wanting to you know to to follow nature but then also recognizing you know nature you know is pretty harsh and cruel and we you know want to you know uh we have the technology the knowledge and the um the ability to you know we can save these tiny tiny preemies now yeah. and they turn out to be you know just fine yeah 
excellent people. I have some close friends that were preemies <laughs> that are like really tall, you know, and like grow up to be really incredible people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think that is very well said. Um, let's see. In your bio that I read, you had a reconnection with your father. Yes. Well, actually, it was my father's family. Your father's family. Because he had passed by the time I found out about him. Oh. So I never actually met him. Well, I remember him vaguely when I was four. Oh. I was four or five, and then my parents were divorced, and we lost contact. Okay. And then it wasn't until, I don't know when it was, maybe six years ago. Seven years ago, somewhere like that. Well, that was like yesterday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, that, um, like, I knew I was Lakota and Sioux, but I didn't know which particular tribe. And there's, you know, a bunch of different Sioux. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, uh, I didn't know anything else about my family. And at one, a couple of times, I tried to see if I could find him because I knew I would maybe have some Indian benefits for mm-hmm. school, you know, and I tried to track track him down and I didn't really know about the, um, uh, I could have done it a lot earlier than I did, but I didn't really know about um, Ancestry.com has mm-hmm. the um, tribal records all online, oh, wow. so it's not very hard to find. It's like if if all the tribal members from the 1860s on up are all in those registers. Oh, wow. And they're all digitized. So it's not hard to find. But I didn't know that at the time. Oh. So I ended up, um, one of my um, aunts got a hold of me and said, oh, are you the same? And so the other part of the problem is is that um, on my birth certificate, my birth name was Daphne Duncan. And mm-hmm. I changed my name when I was 16, I think, 15 or 16. To singing tree, mm-hmm. and then um, and then later on I was Daphne singing tree. So I so they had looked for me, but they had looked for Daphne Duncan. Uh. But she had you know searched a bunch of records, and I think I was speaking at a conference, and then she found me. Wow! And then I ended up getting um, I got this email. Um, you know, are you the same? You know. So which? So where are you? Where is your original Sue come from? Um, well, they were um, my great my um, uh, my grandfather or my, my grandmother on my on my dad's side, mm-hmm. and they were from the Fort Yates area of South Dakota. Okay. And they're you know they were Standing Rock. Wow. And um, uh, my. Um, mother, my grandmother on um, uh, uh, my dad's side had a whole bunch of kids, and her first husband—that was the the—that the, was the Duncan side. He was the one that had the Indian in him. Oh, okay. And he married my great grandmother. No, he, it was my my grandfather, my grandmother. It was my great grandmother. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Did you see? Did I you... have this really cool picture of her. 
Do you? Yeah. Yeah. They can't see it, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I could put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a super, super cool picture. I found it on Ancestry.com. No way. Yeah. Of your so, great-grandmother. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, maybe it was a great-great. That's amazing. Um... Do you recall, like, what your, what pulled you to be a midwife in the first place? Yes. I was um, teaching a workshop on herbs. I was 15 <laughs> at the Whole Earth Festival in Davis, California. Uh. And I went to a workshop on natural childbirth. Uh. My first husband and he showed a film on about a birth and it was this wait he, your first husband that you are not you don't know he's your husband yet right got it <laughs> that's how we met okay that's how you met uh, he was giving the he was giving this talk and it was this film that didn't have any sound but it was like this 16 millimeter film about this you know and it was this long home birth film and home birth was this was in 1970 74, 73. Let's see, I was born in 58 and I was 15. So, whatever year that was. Don't ask me math. <laughs> On but the podcast? <laughs> oh, I just froze. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> so, and I was just like blown away. And then I was blown away with him. He was this like cool hippie doctor. I had braids down to his butt, <gasps> and 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 I like chased him hard <laughs> <laughs> and caught him. And back then he was a lot older than me. He was oh my gosh. I was fifteen and he was thirty four. Holy moly! Yeah, back then he wasn't considered a pedophile. He was considered lucky. <laughs> Freaking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was not that big of a deal back then, you yeah. know, raised a well, couple of eyebrows, but it wasn't, well, technically it was illegal. It wasn't like, it, it really was very different back yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, also, you left home at 12, yeah. launching you into adulthood. Yeah. So you at, at 13 were more like an average 18 year old. So by 15, you were more like a 25, 27 year old. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, for all yeah. intents and purposes. So. And that was very true with a lot of younger people in my generation right you know like a lot of people left home I was a couple of years younger than my peers but very often people were you know um uh, you know mm-hmm. um, and at what point did you start to have like weight issues were you always well or? no I wasn't I was always uh, I started gaining weight with every child a little bit more a little bit more little bit more um my mother was heavy so I definitely have that in my um in my family history Mm -hmm. um so you know that was uh, uh, that's always kind of been um uh you know so first child was when you did you have the first two real close together um, I had my first one, then I, uh, um, 
No, the first one, then I oh, it was four years, then I had my okay. second one, and then I had the next. And uh, the cesarean was probably very, that was probably much harder to come That was back my from. third one, yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't too bad. I went and was doing a midwifery conference and um, scheduled it like three weeks after nice. I had my, uh, after my due date, because I figured, yeah, I'll be up and around with the new baby, it's no big deal. And, you know, it was a couple of weeks after a, a new baby, after a cesarean, so. Wow. And they did cesareans, um, uh, they did cesareans a little bit differently back, um, back, uh, back then. Um, and then how, how long after your third did your fourth come along? About a little less than two years. Two years. And, and did you have a VBAC? I did not have a VBAC because I had, um... I had a vertical incision. Whoa! With the with the placenta previa, and um, I couldn't find anybody to do a VBAC. Wow! And um, I uh, um, I uh, had a, a a fourth cesarean. Wow! And, um, got my tubes tied. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. While they were in there. I did hear a very interesting story about my um, father's side of my family that's probably one of my more interesting family stories. Ooh, yes. um, so my uncle on my dad's side, his brother, mm-hmm. um, was... Um, oh, I'm not finding this. Um, this... Uh, this picture on on the drive. I know I had it on Facebook. Um, his um, he was a nuclear engineer. Oh, and he worked for Boeing. Whoa, in developing you know like you know hardcore nuclear stuff, and then he um. Uh, married the niece of the Shah of Iran. Whoa. <laughs> but they got the marriage annulled because it turned out he was gay. <laughs> and then because he was gay, he lost his... Um, I wish you could see her face right now. It's amazing. <laughs> he lost his, um, his credentials, you know, oh. your security clearance. And he could not work as a nuclear engineer anywhere. He couldn't work anywhere around nukes when you were gay back in the day, you know, oh because that was the way that it was. Wow. So he went back to the reservation, and he ended up working for the government of Standing Rock. Wow. Um, and what's really interesting, so his, and, and his name was Richard Thunderbear. He actually mm-hmm. changed his, his name as well. Um, and what's kind of interesting is, is my aunt sent me a copy of his journal and he had done this journal of this was just one year i think it was 1974 i'm not sure about that but sometime like that mm-hmm. um and he had written it in this super neat really small handwriting the entire thing in italian whoa <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah how did he and, learn italian well he was stationed in italy during the war there you go okay 
Wow. And so I assume that he did that because he was gay and it probably had, you know... Um, <laughs> what a great know. place to be gay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't a very great place to be gay in um, in uh, the 70s on the reservation. Evidently, he got beat up a number of times for being gay and really had a pretty rough time, but he was also an alcoholic and did a lot of drugs and this... Um, so one of my, I had an intern that came from Italy one year, and she, um, I uh, uh, paid her to do the translation, and she did a translation of oh, his journal for me, awesome. and it was uh, um, pretty wild. He had a, um, a pretty wild, uh, uh, <laughs> pretty wild life. Um, but uh, I'm glad he got out of getting beat up by the reservation. Well, I don't know if he got out of it. He ended up, um, he ended up, um, uh, getting really sick from being an alcoholic and, Mm. um, and, uh, uh, he didn't die on the reservation. He came back to where the, all the rest of the family lived in Pasadena, California. And that's where he, he ended up, um, he ended up dying. So, um, So, um, I mean, so much of the, do you believe that it's like a big part of the reason why the Native American population is so prone to alcoholism and drug abuse? I mean, because they're such, it's such an oppressed group of people and all the sadness, I mean, well, that's certainly a piece of it. You know, certainly there is a piece of um a piece of all of that which is um related to um and and I think we talked about this last time is is that there's generational trauma in people's genes, yeah. but it's also um when there's such poverty and hopelessness and despair you know, drugs and alcohol is a way out. Way out yeah. But it's also learned behavior. If totally. your parents are alcoholics, you're more likely to be an alcoholic. If everybody around you drinks, right. you know, it's 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 a really hard thing to get over. Yeah. If um, if so many uh, so many people, uh, you know. Uh, Yeah, that's really so sad. So that's, you know. And then I'm just toggling between my last two my last two bullet points here. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners? Recommendations in what area? <laughs> Broad. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, eat plants, <laughs> mostly plants, mostly <laughs> things that eat plants, and stay away from roots made in plants. <laughs> Boom. Cha. The high hat on that one. The, the rules to being a flexitarian. Don't worry, that's going to be in the show notes too. I adore it. Um, I guess around, um, you know, I think it's just awesome because you, you know, you have four children two of which you had naturally at home, two of which you had in cesarean and hospital, all of which you're very happy about. 
-hmm. And I think that that's really cool. Um, And that that's a story that, uh, you know, that's something I'm really proud to have on this podcast because Mm -hmm. um, I want our listeners to know that it's all okay. And that... Well, I don't know if necessarily everything is always okay. I've had difficult relationships with my adult children, and it's not always, Wait, you know. I, yes. You know, there's always, you know, there's, you know, no lives are perfect. Life is hard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Life is suffering, and the Buddha was right. You know, there's, yes. you know. I'm, I was focusing a little more just on, on birth, because I think that, that, or, you know, like the actual birth labor process, um, that that all of your births were were good and happy and okay and and yeah. like and yeah I don't have any I didn't have any particular birth trauma I had two really good home births my cesareans were you know as good as they could be ex, you know expected right. you know um, um, I guess it's just I didn't really want to have my last one cesarean because I. You know, I wanted to have a V-back, mm-hmm. but, you know, having a classical V-back. I even talked to the farm in Tennessee to see if they would do it. I was going to travel to the farm. And they were like, no. no. Wow, not yeah. even the farm. Yeah. <gasps> not even Ina May. Uh, yep, not even uh, Ina May. Wow. So it was because the incision was vertical. vertical. Interesting. Well, and there's a uh, an additional risk for... Um, for uh, a ruptured uterus. It makes, that's, makes sense. You know, even though the risk is small, that's such a devastating complication. Yeah. And, you know, there's good reasons for that. I mean, there's no good reasons for mothers to die during birth. Right. And if there's a possibility that a mother might die during birth, then, you know, why take that chance? Right. You know, and at that point I had three small children and, you yeah. know, didn't want to leave them, you no. know. Um, uh, um, yeah, I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is just is what's cool is I didn't know that I had no idea that that was your story. I knew you had four children. I had no idea that, you know, two you had at home and two you had in hospital. Cesarean, I think it's kind of, it's um it's it's relieving in a way. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess you know, what what are your recommendations for hopeful parents expecting mothers or human beings just listening to this podcast because they're you know we're hoping that we were going to talk about herbs <laughs> maybe next time um okay i finally found it oh oh my gosh don't picture. worry this will be on the show notes that is so beautiful this is your great grandmother yeah wow oh my gosh just the jewelry is so unbelievable no, it's my great great grandmother. Great great grandmother. Oh my gosh, she's so gorgeous. I wish it, I wish I could see the colors. It's black and white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think they had black and white. Uh, that was all they got. That was yeah. all they had. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we'll put that on your. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you gets kind of already in the wall up here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a, I've got a. Uh, some copies of those that I was going to have framed, and I just are sitting in a bag in my office. <laughs> <laughs> the to-do list, the ever-going to-do yeah. list. Actually, it's a really good reminder because I I went and got 
I got copies of those pictures, and I was gonna frame, give them to my kids for Christmas. Oh. So hopefully they're not gonna they're not gonna read this before Christmas. They won't. They won't. Wait, well, well they probably no, won't. they won't because this won't it won't air until after January. Well, and they wouldn't listen to it anyway. <laughs> Maybe they would. Oh, I hope so. Oh yeah, no, they're uh, all super busy with their lives. They I don't want to listen to mom go on and on. You know. <laughs> We've heard it, mom. But yeah, no reckon like you know. So if, if for hopeful parents or for pregnant mamas or you know, what's your recommendation around around birth? What would you? Well, I I think around around birth is um, that home birth is a philosophy, not a place. Mm-hmm. You know, to you know, to be an active consumer, to ask a lot of questions, you know, to find a midwife that you both feel really connected to but also has really good um, experience and that has a good um, relationship with the hospitals and doctors you know in case that they're and that's not always smooth and easy because a lot of times there's a disconnect between home birth and hospitals which is really ridiculous it isn't that way in most of other civilized you know countries Mm -hmm. but um, you know, we're getting the, better with that too. Yeah, but getting you know, getting that you know a little bit together, mm-hmm. and um, and one of the things that I think that that we don't have a, as much in pregnancy. What I would tell my pregnant mamas, even though you know this is more about like like what I believe as opposed to what I do myself mm-hmm. is be physically really um, as active as possible that mm-hmm. that giving birth is like running a marathon yeah you know and that one of the things that's really helpful I think for pregnant women is to spend a little bit of time squatting mm-hmm. for example you know because squatting you know is uh, and to, you know to walk a lot and mm-hmm. to you know or to do swimming or yoga or any of those things that are gonna you know um strengthen your body and you know eat healthy food and you know all of those things are going to help you give birth um in a in, you know in a healthier better way mm-hmm. and then you know pay attention you know during labor and and you know i'm a big believer in nature mm-hmm. and um and so, you know, after the baby's born, you know, like protecting the microbiome, you know, not washing the baby as the baby's growing up, you know, plopping your baby in the garden, letting them eat dirt, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, all of those, you know, mm-hmm. all of those kinds, uh, you know, uh, kinds of things, keeping, keeping babies and kids away from screens. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, I think that that's one of the hardest things that new parents have to deal with. Because you know, I have little, I have um, small grandchildren now, and um, I watch them on occasion. And um, and I know when you have a two-year-old, it'd be really, uh, you know, I don't because I don't spend that much time with my uh, grandkids. But I understand the um, the impulse to put them in front of a screen to have a babysitter and have a little bit of quiet time while you can cook dinner or do something, you know, uh, something else. And I think that that's, that's, um, one of the things that, that, uh, uh, is probably really critically important for, for, for children. And I also think that people should really think about, um, 
their relationships with others. I think we're a little bit too isolated mm-hmm. um, from other humans. Yeah. And, you know, I tend to do that myself where I get, you know, caught up in my own little, you know, Me my too. own little thing. I'm very, one of the reasons why I like do, having the intern program is because is I have young people that come, you know, that come over a couple of times a week. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, an assistant that you know, works here. So, you know, I get a certain interaction with people, but I think it's really easy to become isolated from people. A lot of times, like when I was growing up, people used to go and visit and they would play cards at, you know, and they would do things in the evenings Mm -hmm. with, you know, um, playing cards was a big thing, you know, uh, when I was growing up. And people, um, and you know, having company over and people would come visit and that was not, that's not what we do now. We stay home and we watch TV. And, you know, so. I'm like, I'm going to write that down, cards. I'm, I'm going to ask my neighbors to come over and play cards. Yeah. Because that is, I remember that's what, like, when I was really little, that was what my parents were doing. And that was definitely what my grandparents were doing. Yeah. My grandparents were, like, having bridge groups and hearts and you know, they were playing, yeah, and people, and also just walking over, just oh. like, you just walk over to your neighbor's house, and now it's like, oh, you gotta text somebody, you're gonna call somebody, you gotta make sure it's okay to, you know, and, yeah, but that. visiting, you know, visiting. I could, yeah, um, one of the things that they've shown that, um, is, uh, for a treatment for depression is, is, you know, why social isolation is one of the causes of depression. Yeah. There's an interesting study that showed, um, there's been studies for a long time that showed that married men live longer than unmarried men. Mm-hmm. So then there was lots of research done on why that is. You know, do married men eat better? Maybe their wives are bugging them to go to the doctor and get, you know, <laughs> um, uh, get, um, you know, I use the term married, but it could be, you know, long-term disorder. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe they eat more vitamins. You know, maybe it's the sex. You know, like there's you know, and those things might have you know play somewhat of a role in it. But what, one of the things that they found to be the chief thing is is that women are the ones that made the social arrangements. They're the ones like we're going over to so and so's house for a pop. Uh huh. You know, we're going out. And Yeah, that, I'm like thinking about this in my head. It's exactly how it is. You know, that that women sort of drag men out to drag. social <laughs> to, into into social, you know, into social situations mm-hmm. and social isolation is one of the things that is a known cause of of um, uh, health problems and early death. Yeah. So one of the reasons why married men live longer than unmarried men is because the women brag them to social events. Amazing. That's great advice. That's a great recommendation. Not advice, recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Well, and then is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners about Eagle Tree. Like I said, I'm putting anything that you want on the show notes so like mm-hmm. people will be able to... Well, you can put the, uh, the, the website on there. That's, you know, um, uh, that's fine. 
Um, I think that that did you have any? Did we cover all everything on your notes? So we don't. Yes. My notes. Yes. No, we really did. We yeah. covered everything on on my notes. Um, okay. Yeah. And more. So. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can't. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Well, you know, I think that uh, um, I'm. Any sounds... secret book you're writing that like is coming out soon? Well, nothing. That, there's secret books I have in my head. Yeah. Like secret. That, I mean, not so secret that I would love to. I would love to be able to. I'm just not very good at sitting down and writing. But I have always wanted to do like a life story kind of, yes. you know, uh, uh, kind of book. But it's that's... could you would you dictate it easier? Oh, I would definitely dictate it well, easier. I can, I can help you with that. I'll help you with that. Yeah, there's look if I can do if I Rain Reed can make a podcast happen, which is like things, files, getting onto the computer and being able to access. If I can do that, you can dictate a book for sure. So we'll talk about that yeah. after after we get off. Well, wonderful. Well, um, thank you so much sure. for round two, and um, it's such an honor to be in your presence and. Um, you know, have the ancestors <laughs> and and all the beautiful. I wish they could see all the midwifery artwork on the walls and all the beautiful tribal and oh, all the herbs everywhere. It's just it's an enchanting place mm-hmm. here at Eagle Tree mm-hmm. Herbs. So um, thank you all for listening. Um, thank you, Daphne Singing Tree, all and right. until next time. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to Daphne Singing Tree second episode um thank you so much daphne for sharing your wisdom um we greatly appreciate it hope you guys um dig the show (sighs) thanks again to christiana dancer at dancer voice productions for putting this show on and making it possible um and thank you to justin briggs um, for creating the beautiful uh theme song for us and Thank you to the listeners. Uh, Please feel free to share this show with others uh, who might be um, in need of some of some healing. Um, You know, we've got lots of birth stories. We've got lots of um, herbs and healers and doctors and naturopaths and yoga teachers. So it's just a compilation of all my favorite people um, who have supported me through my journey in some way, shape, or form. And um, so, you know, I just offer this as a support for you and for those you love. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.